Um, yes, I think the learning is, no, you always have to go with data. I believe that yes. data truly has a power to tell stories. And if it's telling you something, it's a trend, pick it up, use it. But also use other nuances. I think yeah. I was very early on in my career where I believe that whatever the model tells me, whatever data tells me is the ultimate truth. Mm. I think businesses are more great than that. It's not just a math problem that we're solving. We have to understand what the brand is trying to sell. What is the company philosophy? What is the mission of the company? And we have to make sure that all our recommendations are actually in line with business goals as well. Hello and welcome to season two of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, a.k.a. Mr. Automation. Hello, bots and thoughters. The team and I at Salient Process are thrilled to bring you a special new guest from the 2023 OPEX conference in Orlando this year. Nikita Surya is Uber's Senior Manager of Strategy Operations, overseeing the operational excellence of Uber's white-label retail delivery service, called Uber Direct. From using data to inform process performance and presenting improvements and optimizations in the context of company cultures and values, to what skills, certifications, and mindsets that she recommends are must-acquires for 2024, I am thrilled to bring you Nikita Soria at Uber. Well, I am curious before we dive right in. Yeah. Um, how long you've been in New York? Yeah. Where'd you did you grow up, and how'd yeah. you how'd you get to New York? Yeah. So I've actually uh, I've been in New York for now six years, uh, been a while, and I've actually grown up in India. I've born cool. born and raised in Bombay, my favorite city in the world. Yeah. Uh, raised there, studied there, uh, lived there till I was like twenty five, wow. and moved to the US at the age of twenty six to do my masters here at Columbia. So, and what was your master's in? Uh, so my master's in Columbia was actually in operations research and focusing on like machine learning, predictive analytics, and data. And that was actually my second master's from here. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah. Take a little step back for me. Your undergrad degree was chemical engineering. Yep. Yes. There's there's the story in there. How do we go from chemical engineering to what you do now, which is senior manager strategy ops at Uber? Yes, uh, very interesting. Actually, it's been it's been a long time, and uh, I started out. I as a child, I loved science. I've always been like a super curious uh, child. You know, mm-hmm. really enjoyed science, physics, and math. Like mm-hmm. those were like my three favorite topics, which probably most people would not agree with. But uh, that was me. I was like uh, really enjoying it. Always wanted to get more into like scientific uh, stuff and like be more designed and creative in those sort of fields. And I think after I completed high school. I got into chemical engineering because, you know, it's actually a field that's very focused on like physics and modeling on uh, data and getting into that, studied that a bit and really enjoyed it. I think those four years were super interesting and, you know, has given me that foundation of like math and calculus that is very strongly required for everything that I do even today. So uh, it started out from there. I went ahead after doing my engineering, I also did a master's in finance. Because I realized that just knowing the technical skill set will not really help me in the business world. Like I want to be able to talk numbers and understand how like business works too. So got into that. Um, spent some time with consulting. So worked with Ernst Young for like uh, three years. 
or so work in financial and uh, actually work on operational risk. Mm. So that's where my journey with like, you know, operational access kind of started, spent some time. Yeah, like assessing financial risks from like uh, the operational perspective. So worked with a few like private equity banks, uh, some of the bigger banks in India. And then as I went through that, um, I realized I love consulting, like great exposure. But at the same time, I wanted to get more deeper. And like, I think my engineering roots were like, you know, I need to be more data focused. And that was like, I need to be like in the data and in the weeds. And that's where, oh, you know, I was like, okay, I need to get a little deeper and, you know, the opportunity I got, like, you know, the opportunity to come to Columbia and study, like, at one of the most prestigious schools and one of the most right. prestigious programs, which was, like, demand and supply analytics, predictive modeling. So, um, you know, so I was like, okay, let's merge this. And whether it seems like, actually, my chemical engineering foundation played such a strong role for me getting into like Columbia and like getting into uh, the master's degree because it was all based of like the math and the foundation that mm-hmm. I had and understanding data, but then knowing how to build the story around it. How do you optimize that data? How do you actually like design things with it? So that's how, you know, Columbia happened from there. So now I have this data degree and I have some financial exposure as well. And that I started out my first job uh, with a sports company I love that was Adidas. So got into the data science, you know, like as things always happen when you study machine learning and predictive modeling, you know, data science was like the uh, hot, it's still the hot word. I think five years ago it was even like, a. so I started out as a data scientist in Adidas worked on all things supply chain, optimization of models. So again, worked on like network planning. So if you are in New York and you are ordering a shoe for yourself, how do we fulfill that? You know, not from not from the West Coast, but from a store in New York, like a flagship store, yeah. which would have it. So how do you make sure that you get it like super quickly? So optimizing that entire network route was like stuff that I worked on. So building models that could help like, you know, bring efficiencies to the process and start removing like, you know, you're, you're optimizing for cost, for time, all of those things. So spent some time doing that in Adidas and then uh, moved to Estee Lauder, which actually got me back to New York. So Estee, uh, Adidas was actually in Portland uh, oh, wow. on the West Coast. So spent some time there and then moved back to New York, uh, realized, uh, you know, New York is my second love after Bombay, and uh, came to Estee Lauder, which was, again, in the space of, so that role was strategic finance, so more into, like, business transformation, and, you know, more more focused on process excellence, so less supply chain, less supply chain but it was supply chain finance. Okay. So it looked at like entire value chain. So looked sure. from like R and D to manufacturing to then making sure distribution. So how do you optimize for like projects around the entire scope? So like from a transformation lens, look at like how do we optimize? You know, there's a lot of redundancies across these processes. And I see a lot of companies, thirty-one companies rolled into one. So at mm-hmm. a global level, there are thirty-one brands. How do you make sure there's synergy across like manufacturing? across value, across distribution how do you make sure that they're not cannibalizing into each other so those kind of like flagship projects are what i worked on from a financial perspective and supply chain so super interesting stuff okay. i think a lot of work with like you know doing like multiple projects it was like they're, they're in-house consultants so working on mac for like a few months and then Malone for a few months and comfort for a few months nice. so like a lot of interesting uh, learnings across the board okay. and like a lot of work in like transformation space and strategy space and then from there uh, the opportunity for uber finally came along uh, came along which is like where i'm currently working so i've been two years at uber uh, which was, uh, you know, when I interviewed for Uber, it was like, this is a startup within 
established space. So the role I am in Uber is actually, uh, it's a white label service and it's last mile delivery. So it's a completely Whoa. new line of business within Uber. So, yeah. you know, it's like you have to set it up. So basically from retail to grocery, when you go to an Apple website or you go to a grocery website and you order groceries, yeah. it's actually delivered through you through Uber. Uh, and you as a customer probably know, probably don't know it. Right? No idea. Yeah, and end-to-end it gets serviced through the same Uber platform. So uh, it's a completely new business. Does it plug in with like a Grubhub or? No, so it's a competitor. Oh, okay. So no, Grubhub's a competitor. Not that easily. You order on Uber Eats? No, you order on an Apple.com. And, oh, you, and you say you want an iPhone into Uber. So you select the two-hour delivery yes. option and that comes to you through Uber. Yeah. Okay. Or you go to Sephora and you're like, I need this lipstick by tonight because I'm going for a Taylor Swift concert and I need this. Yeah, And great. it comes to you through Uber. That's great. So this is a completely new business yeah. and I think it was just an opportunity to like be in a disruptive space and do something yeah. completely new and use all this, you know, have like a data background to be able to use data in like a way to actually build an entire business. So it's been two years, but not a single day has been born even now. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You have a really unique yeah. and super logical you yeah. probably didn't plan it out to be that way mm-hmm. but the steps really complement each other yeah chemical engineering gave you the data yeah the analysis the the maths yeah. behind what then turned into supply chain optimization solving complex logistical problems um at several retailers the financial side of it makes sense with the numbers yeah. and your strength in numbers and the all of that kind of coming together into the, the transportation company that we all know is as Uber. Uber. Yeah. Great, great, great background. Yeah, it's been interesting. Like when I think back, I'm like, okay, it actually ties in because there's so it many does. things we do, I do now, and I'm like, oh, there's actually experiences yeah. that I can pick up You're from. Using all of it. Yeah, using it all throughout the journey. And like there were definitely points where I was like, I'm engineering, how does that tie into like what I'm going to do next? Yeah. But in, now when I look back and I'm like, it made sense. So I'm curious, what does your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year look like as senior manager strategy ops at oh. this startup within Uber? Yeah. Uh, curious what team, what your team looks like. Are they all similar to you and your background and skill set, or is it more diverse? Um, what about the teams you indirectly work with? What yeah. That for us. yeah, so Uber is, um, you know, it's a tech company through and through. It's also a transportation company. So we touch a lot of different uh, facets. Mm-hmm. And the line of business I work in is Uber Direct, which is the uh, last mile delivery option. Mm-hmm. And I focus primarily on reliability and risk. So from a delivery experience perspective, so from the point uh, you place a customer places the order, uh, my team is in charge of making sure that the end-to-end, like the customer receives that order in full and on time. So our biggest metrics are those, right? So that the trip is completed, you want the iPhone to come to you in two hours, as promised, and you want the iPhone to be there. So that's like the primary metric. For us, uh, we have a a team of six right now. So when I started out two years ago, I was uh, only one person who joined the team. So been involved with like, uh, you know, hiring, coaching, mentoring our entire team, which is a mix of like analysts, senior analysts uh, on the team. 
Most of them are financial analysts. Uh, no, these analysts. are mostly data, 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 data and strategy analysts. So okay. primarily, I would say most of like everyone on my team, given that this is like an entire delivery and it's, it is a tech heavy role, mm-hmm. uh, everyone does have like you know tech background and they do have the skills to be working on SQL, uh, working on through like complex data very mm-hmm. primarily. Because I would say 50-60% of our time is spent in SQL and like with data and like running analysis yeah. and then working through it. I'm curious, what's your take on process mining? What process do you, mining. What do you mean by like process okay, mining so specifically? I can, yeah, catch you up more about that maybe after the podcast. Yeah. But in short, it is a uh, platform that oof, goes back to, I want to say the early 2010s, but only recently gained popularity in the last year or two, maybe three. Uh, it's coming out of its kind of early adopter phase into widespread use to help folks in continuous improvement, operational excellence, even line of business leaders responsible for, you know, understanding and solving process related problems. But what's different about it is the process map output comes from your data, your system data, as opposed to traditional process mapping, not mining, but mapping comes from anecdotes, anecdotes data, right? You sit down with someone and yeah. say, hey, how does this process work? And you use your squares and triangles yeah. to understand the, the process flow, yeah. swim lanes, milestones, work time, wait time systems, yeah. race, CSIFOG, stuff like that. Um, that's an automated output from process mining. I would say, uh, you know, that's not something we've used, at least at Uber. And the reason I think is we're so new in this space and this is yeah. a completely transformative space. Probably Nobody's done. Yeah. There's, you know, we're literally learning on the fly. Like I think yeah. every day at Uber has been like a learning experience for yeah. us. So we're, cool. we're like learning. And, you know, so there's really no history to like build processes off yeah. of. We're literally. Do you need a big amount of data. Yeah. Like I think we're at that point now where. We started documentation process mapping now for our processes because we're like, okay, we've been doing this for like six months. Let's yeah. say now we know how to do this, but mm-hmm. I do think that a lot of Uber and the way we work at Uber is like innovative. It's like, let's do new things. Let's not stick to a standard process or something that somebody's told us can work. Yeah. I think that's one of the fundamentals for yeah. us. It's like, let's build something new if you have an idea. And I think the good thing is like, you know, even for us in the day to day, Anybody in the teams can actually be like, no, I don't think this is how we should do it. And, you know, that decision, whether it's like, it doesn't matter what your level is, what your designation is. If, uh, you know, if like the analyst on our team says, you know, we don't think the data is worth it, let's not do this. We will explore a different option. We do a lot of A-B testing, a lot of like experimentation. So we're more of that mode where we're like constantly testing and th- yeah. th- trying rather than like actually relying on like a set process mm-hmm. right now. You're in the lab. We are literally in the lab. Like that's scientist. This is literally like our day to day is like, you know, so our team focuses on like reliability and making sure we work with partners. So work very closely with account managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're like the face of Uber or uh, tech to the merchants. So if you're working yeah. with an Apple, like I work on these partnerships like daily, like sure. from an Albertson's perspective, Sephora. Yeah. Like, you know, we're working with them trying to understand how their tech systems work. So how, you know, because I think, um, what some companies don't realize is there is also some tech lift that is needed from their perspective. Like, you know, we just can't have an, a, a new, like a small grocery be like, oh, we're going to, we want to give that that functionality that today we want to turn on Uber as a delivery service. Yep. 
and just be like, okay, you're taken care of and you're delivered. But there is obviously some tech work that is needed on there and sure. be able to like integrate yep. with our API and things yeah. like that. So how do we work with them? How do we make sure they have the right resources? So that and we work with the engineering team to it. Enable that for our partners. Yep. And then on the other side, we also work very closely with our product team, who's the internal product team, mm-hmm. who is working on all product. And we're like, oh, hey, we need to prioritize a certain feature for RX deliveries. And the product, you know, so there's this constant game of prioritization where, like, what's really important? What moves the needle? What is the company's directive towards? Like, what is our growth focus towards? And then we work with the product team to make sure those kind of features can be actually built out and rolled out. Yeah. A little bit of a left-hand turn here, but how does the cost work? Yeah. Is it free to the consumer? Yeah. Does Apple pick up the bill? Yeah. Is it a shared cost across parties? Are surge prices mm-hmm. involved? Um, does it fluctuate? Yeah. I'm curious, how does the... Yeah, so I can give you some more context on that. So I think my team... I would pay extra to have yeah. a MacBook in an hour. In two hours, right. Yeah. So I think uh, my team also handles it. We own the cost per trip and there's, uh, you know, like we own a portion of the PNL which is related to cost. But I think we have contractual pricing with our merchants because we are like a last mile delivery. You know, it's not happening through Uber Eats. So it's a very different pricing algorithm. Yeah. I think we have contractual pricing. Is it still your just everyday Uber drivers that would take it us is to the same. It is the same. The same course. drivers. The they same get a ride request from the Apple store yep. to your home. Yeah. So it's the same drivers who do delivery, who do Uber Eats, who do Uber rides. Uh, so it's the same thing. Cool. If they, uh, It would be the rides if they've like actually signed in to like, if they've opted in sure. to do Eats deliveries. Mm-hmm. But yes, similar people. Yeah, who wouldn't? Yeah, like it's additional All income. Right. Yeah, it's additional income throughout the days. So yeah, it's uh, so the pricing there is no surge right now through direct because this is like contractual. So we charge the merchants a specific contractual fee for like the delivery and the return service. So if there's like a return associated yeah. with the product, like if you're not at home for an iPhone to take the delivery, we would have to return it back to sure. the store. So there is like a return component of it as well. However, we don't influence what uh, the merchant would then charge on their website for the customers. Mm-hmm. So, so they have a rate that they pay you. Yeah. But what they charge me could is be different. Up to them. Yeah, it's up to them. It's up to their algorithm. If they charge, if they charge, do they want to offer it free? Like could we know, it could be a promotion. So that is completely up to the merchant's discretion yeah. in this case. It seems like a premium feature. It is. Or the um, how do we say? Consumers are very. Uh, what's the word? Demanding. Yeah, I think the needs are changing now, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you know, like grocery, you want it in 30 minutes yeah. now. Like, I think, <laughs> what if we come to? Yeah, like, there is just like, you know, grocery for us has been like, you know, convenience is growing. It's 7 That's 11. Yeah, 7 11. Yeah, so 7 has like, you know, we delivered in 30 minutes on average. Yeah. So that's that's just the convenience of it. And you could choose to get it in four days through like, you know, the other modes of, you know, like uh, delivery out there. But this is an add-on delivery feature. Yeah, very cool. And we're seeing this grow very quickly, like over the last few years. Yeah, I have a feeling that your team is going to crush it. Yeah, we, we hope so. <laughs> I'm curious. You probably have several projects going on at any point in time. Yeah. Right. How many ongoing projects are in your portfolio is it right. Five for 50 or- right now it's in the range of like i think what we're trying to do is get more strategic about like how we split our bandwidth so i yeah. think we try to be like about maybe about like five uh, long-term projects and long-term in uber terms is like more 
yeah, a half year. Sure. So long term. Like, yeah. like, you know, we're saying like, oh, we're it's not like a decade in time. Okay, like you know, we're talking about like six months. What do we want to achieve? So like, what are our big rocks for like six months? We try to define mm-hmm. those priorities. So those would be about like five or like so each person on the team would have like two major projects that they're working on, which are like over six months yeah. or so, which we will reassess like, you know, monthly and look at like whether that still makes sense. Is it still yeah. a business need? Because mm-hmm. things change so quickly for us. Mm-hmm. And then we have like shutdown projects, which are like monthly or like bi-monthly where like, you know, if you have Q4 for us, an example, this is like really big for us with retail. So there's like big Walmart events, big Apple events that are coming in and, you know, that um, that is something we plan for. And these are smaller, smaller projects. Mm-hmm. So something like this would be in the tune, yeah, like sprints would be in the tune of about like, I would say 50 to 20 across the team for sure. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. So um, prioritizing those, managing those, um, it'd be great if we could do everything all at once, but. Yeah, but your physics background knows yeah. that we can't. Yeah. Um, so how do you prioritize those? I think it's been, I would say it's still a work in progress. It's sure. not something that, you know, we've championed over time. Sure. And, uh, but I would say ruthless prioritization is key. Oh, yeah. And I think that's something we apply across the entire company. Like whether it's our product team, it's our account managers, it's, uh, you know, the strategy of the startups team. All of us, we have a very clear business impact allocated with each prioritization and that's how we're like okay what's the business impact what is this going to drive what's going to move the needle and is this in line with what we actually want to do with uber mm-hmm. as a company yeah so a lot of north stars yeah is that term you use? Uh, a lot of big we use big rocks, big big rocks. rocks. Okay. yeah sure. big rocks is like a very uber uh, term yeah okay so and the rock and then the pebble <laughs> yeah 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 so if it's in direction with what like you know and then we do a lot of like scorecards also to see like whether things are moving in the right direction or not but i would say that prioritization has been key for us like especially as we manage like bandwidth and everything's always urgent and you know in the world especially in this world where we're working with merchants so this is like very partnership based. A lot of our like growth also depends on how you know like partnerships are yeah. performing. So yeah. it's, it's like you know very, very dynamic. It could change up, down, yeah. right, left, internal, external, everything. So I think a lot of it is like also a function of where we think the merchant, like what's the potential with the partnership as well. Sure. Like yeah, what's yeah. the growth? So you know that's why we have like our account management and our commercial teams also very closely looped in sure. to like what can be prioritized yeah. versus not. I'm curious, what's your favorite big rock of late, either ongoing or previous, uh, or a, or a monthly one? Yeah. I'm I'm curious what uh, what what's what's the story that comes to mind of before of uh, what you do and then after? Yeah. Outcome. I think a, a really good one that we've worked through, and I think the last eight months of my life have been that has been around defect rate. Defect rate. Yes, yeah, so I think. Yeah, so I think it just means that when the delivery was completed in full or not, so was there an item missing or there a product missing? And I think after the pandemic, this is an issue that most retailers are facing. Like, yeah, I think that's that's an issue, especially in terms of like fraudulent deliveries, fraudulent trips. uh, You know, so that's that's been an issue. Okay. And especially, uh, you know, we're also seeing that happen on delivery and on the Uber side because for us, like our part, our drivers and our couriers are our partners. They're not our full-time employees. You know, they are gig workers. They're on the platform for a while. They're not on the platform. Mm -hmm. They could be on and off. But one of the issues that, you know, and when they're delivering really high-value products, such as Apple or MacBooks or like, you know, like even high-luxury items through the platform. So we want to make sure that 
I know he's actually an stolen on the way, mm-hmm. or there's no like component of fraud associated with mm-hmm. it, or like you know. So uh, that's something that's been uh, was a top of mind for us for a long time. So before we get into kind of the anything else, yes. yeah, the 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 analysis and the resolution. Let's spend another beat on defining the problem. You mm-hmm. mentioned completeness yeah. and um, there, and I'm sorry, I took a note here and on time. Yeah, completeness and on time. I uh, I was speaking with someone earlier at the conference, and the the thing that is kind of coming to mind for me is if you had an hour to solve a problem, you had eight yep. months. But if you had an hour to solve a problem, spend fifty five minutes defining it, yep, and then five solving it, yep. So okay. help us spend not fifty five minutes, but help us define this problem. Yep, a little more. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So sounds good. So I think uh, just when we talk about completion, right? So that means if you ordered two iPhones, one MacBook, you need to receive two iPhones, one MacBook. Yep. Exactly, simple example, mm-hmm. right? And what we started noticing sometime last year is, uh, you know, we started seeing uh, some theft happen across the platform. Where mm-hmm. It's like if a customer ordered for two iPhones, didn't receive both of them or received like one of them. Apple gave it. Apple gave it, but, oh, yes, they, didn't it. but they didn't get it. So for us, the problem statement was, uh, you know, there is this, and Uber is liable to pay the entire Mm-hmm. Like we find back to Apple. That's a tough one. That's, so it's a big impact, right? And the average basket value for Apple is very close to thousand sure. dollars, like somewhere in that ballpark, right? So it's a big hit on uh, on P and L as well. Mm-hmm. So the problem statement was literally like, okay, we are seeing uh, the actual impact to our P and L go up. We are seeing refunds go up. There is a problem. Uh, something needs to there happen. It was a trend. It was a trend. Okay. We're seeing turning that go up. We're turning in the wrong direction. And that's where, uh, you know, my team and I and my manager were pulled in. That, hey, this is a problem. Please fix it. Okay. So uh, we were given this one-line statement. And that's from where we started. So we started. Sounds like we're more focused on completeness, not necessarily on time. On no, time for this, because cheaper problem. No, I think, I yes, there is, on time is a bigger problem. I would say more for food. Because you want to make sure that food is like, yeah, for perishables. But for retail, completeness. And also because completeness and theft is something you want to solve on the platform. On time is something that can be fixed. Like, it's not a loophole in the system. It could be a function of supply. It could be a function of, like, you know, the Mm -hmm. people are not being around you. Like, the driver just taking time. Yeah, less responsibility for Uber. Yeah, on the P&L side. Yeah, so more on the completeness. So this was like one of the bigger issues that actually came up last year. And we started investigating into it. Uh, You know, it was, uh, so that's when we started defining it. Like, is it actually a completeness problem or like start? So before solving it, I think understanding the problem, I would definitely say we need to spend like out of one hour, spend 30 minutes on trying to understand what exactly is going on. And understanding helps you further define. Yeah, yeah. You can go back and forth time and time again between defining and understanding. Okay, we didn't know that. We can define it even further and understand more and so forth. Yeah, so I think understanding that is very critical, especially in a new business and in a place where, you know, you don't have established protocols. Yeah, it almost feels like a waterfall or a linear approach yeah. thinking that it's not back and forth between yeah. defining and understanding. It, there's like a constant it's loop. A it's a constant loop. And I think as you yeah. get like more stakeholders involved, you're going to learn more. Yes. And it's going to be like a can of worms that you open out. Great. So I think that that's something that we spend like a good amount of time on. But yeah, also, yeah. And in, in Uber world, 
this entire thing had to be solved in like yesterday. So I sure. always say to work, we have to solve all problems yesterday. So <laughs> we looked through it. So I think having a very systematic approach to where the issues were happening, was there like, what was the gap that was happening? And you know, there's also at the end of the day, like very honestly, theft is a he said, she said, she said scenario, yeah. right? Like, yeah, did I don't have like CCTV footage. I'm not on the ground. I don't know. A lot of Ubers do. Yeah. Yeah, but like not just safety. Yeah, but not not in the store or like the sure. like you know points it, of connection. Yeah, the points of handshake, like we're yeah. handing it over to you. What there's right. no life feed. I don't know at the end right. of the day. You know. So we try to identify what were like the biggest issues. Mm -hmm. So we you know, usually in like delivery we think about it in different legs. Like there's a pickup leg, then there's once you've completed pickup, you know, once the driver get swipes complete pickup then there's but he's on the route to drop off mm -hmm. and then once he's actually in the geofence and mm -hmm. he's in the drop off vicinity mm -hmm. then he has to meet the customer he or she mm -hmm. has to meet the customer in complete drop off yes. so we define like these three stages stages three milestones three, and we try to look at process emerging yeah so that's <laughs> what the process actually says burning out yeah. right? okay do we have swim lanes yeah merchant driver merchant driver customer, customer. then we start getting like uh, stakeholders like okay i pick up what's the product team doing what can the account managers confirm with the partners? Like, what have we been doing? Any swim lanes. What is the support agent doing? Like, you know, when the when the driver is calling the support and saying, yeah. I have an issue, what's the support agent doing? And then there is a legal team, which is like, like eight, ten swim lanes. It was a massive project. It was a huge undertaking. It's not that simple. Never is. It never is. A complicated one, but I think six months later, we were able to understand, evaluate. Like, I think in two months, we had like, few weeks we had a clear understanding of where the gaps were. Yeah. What was the, an aha moment that comes to mind? So this was a very big aha moment I actually felt was actually when you walk into the Apple store and all of their products are just kept on a table at the end, like near the store, unmanned, and you could just literally pick up a piece of AirPods and walk out. There's no RFID, there's no barcode, nothing beeps. There is nothing. And I kind of uncovered this by like actually going to the store of the customer and like reviewing the way the operation is working. And actually went in, saw this, they took a few pictures, took a video, and then yeah. actually shared it with like Apple's logistics team. Yeah. And I was like, That's you smart. guys, like, you know, we can solve not only some part of the problem, yeah. but you guys also need to like we need to have shared ownership yeah. of this. Yeah. And I think that was just like the first point where it was just like, okay, and you know, I think we didn't even know about this gap that existed before this. But did they? How did they respond? I mean, yeah, they also didn't know much. I think the way we've responded, like we try to put some more ownership because this is obviously high value items. We also need like ownership from the merchants. I think defining like shared ownership and like making sure there are some things that only the stock can enforce, right? Like sure. we can't be doing those things. So you know, they started doing some of those things. Uh, they also, Apple also enabled like a Jiffy packaging. So like a brown bag, pack, because if you see how Apple delivers its products, it's literally in a bag. Yeah, just White a bag. Apple it's just, it's just open. Yeah, and it's open to theft. Even like the, we've had so many instances where like couriers would actually call us in and be like, I actually, I'm on a bike because New York is 70% bikes. Sure. And he's like, I'm on a bike and I have like two iPhones with me and I'm actually scared mm -hmm. for my own safety. Wow. So, because, you know, it's yeah. anything possible. Anything's possible. And so we have these issues too. So it's not always like, you know, a person's fault. There are multiple things that play here. So working through all of those things, Apple also did a few improvements of their own. They started like jiffy packaging, where like they started doing some brown bag packaging for like some of the smaller products, like the AirPods and things like that. 
we made a lot of changes internally to our product flow, to the delivery experience, to the, uh, you know, we worked a lot with our risk team to define like career profiles and like understand who are like better quality careers, sure. like, you know, tenure of careers, things like that. Mm-hmm. And actually went through and then, you know, like worked to solve the problem. A lot of fun experiments. A lot of experiments. Yeah. A lot of different testings. So these are all really positive experiences. And I want to ask about a... Uh, maybe a, a bump, a bruise, a, a speed bump, a lesson learned that we can make a positive because we're continuous improvement people yep. and we like to learn yep. from information. Yep. And um, I know the audience would really benefit if you could maybe think of a, uh, a not so happy outcome, maybe a project took longer to deliver. So maybe give your team more time from a forecasting perspective um, I don't want to leave the witness, but what's a, what's a lesson learned that, that you've learned a lot from or your team has learned a lot from that maybe our audience can too? I think a, a lot of it is a one project that actually comes to mind is a, you know, a project that I did at Estee Lauder. And like I said, we worked with a lot of different companies mm-hmm. and, you know, like I was working in corporate and driving these transformation projects. Mm-hmm. So for me, every product was just a skew on an Excel sheet, sure. right? And the benefit it drove was like, yeah, those clear numbers. This is the cost, this is the value that you're driving from it. Hey, you know, does it work? Does it not? And we were doing this entire analysis for Joe Malone, where it's like, okay, Joe Malone is a fragrance brand and it's part of the SEO order portfolio. So, you know, it's one of the premium luxury fragrances in the market. And they have a huge inventory of like different types of fragrances they make. And they have very unique fragrances that they work on. So because of that, and because it's unique, it's not like your standard sense. They have a huge SKU portfolio. And, you know, mm-hmm. we did an entire SKU portfolio analysis for them. And we found out that they had a lot of, you know, the long tail SKUs that were really not performing that well. And we didn't think it made sense for them to continue with this long lineup. And, um, you know, they shouldn't be moving forward with it. So we mm-hmm. felt that was like, uh, you know, they were actually negative and the cost of company was pretty high and it was actually not benefiting much. So I put together this portfolio proposal of like, you know, if we eliminated the bottom 30%, that would mean X revenue and like less load on the supply chain, you know, like all those good things, yeah. like improved efficiencies for the process. When then, you know, my boss was always oh, learning. We, Sounds so logical. We went and presented that to the board president of like Joe Malone. Oh, we're like, hey, you know, you don't need to be doing this. And from a financial perspective, it doesn't make sense. Still so logical. Logical. But then, you know, it kind of was completely against the brand philosophy. And I kind of, you know, I think I'm such a data and analytics focused yeah. person. I uh, don't, you know, I probably didn't think much about like the brand philosophy and creative that we're catering to all types of audiences. So was the, I cut you off, continue. Yeah. No, that's good. That's... Was the learning to not make recommendations like that or to make them in the context of yes i think the learning is no you always have to go with data i believe that data truly has a power to tell stories and if it's telling you something it's a trend pick it up use it but also use other nuances i think i was very early on in my career where i believe that whatever the model tells me whatever data tells me is the ultimate truth Mm-hmm. I think businesses are more creative than that. It's not just a math problem that we're solving. We have to understand what the brand is trying to sell. What is the company philosophy? What is the mission of the company? And we have to make sure that all our recommendations are actually in line with business goals as well. And that's That's been a learning for me. Business goals and 
yeah. and culture values. And cultural values. Yes. Yes. I think that. Yeah, like I think from like a data lens, you're like, yeah, data's there, you know. Like Not everyone's the scientist. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really important. <laughs> so that was good and it's really helped me now. Because it's like, okay, you didn't do it well now, but now when you like think about like, the other nuances at play. I bet your proposals have gotten so much better received. Now, now, yes. Yeah, now, now, at least, like, I am, I think, presenting different points of view, even while, you know, giving a recommendation, it helps the other entities also realize that you're not there just to, like, show that, oh, you've done the work and this is your proposal. I think it's to think that you're, you've thought through two or three different steps already, and that is always more well-received than, like, just going in with, like, doing because it's supposed to help you. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, rapid fire question time. I am curious if there was a certification or a skill set, be it hard or soft, that you would recommend the let's say next generation of continuous improvement professionals um, to go pick up. What would that what would that be in line? I would say everyone should invest in understanding the latest tools like to work with data. I think it's going to be a requirement for everyone, especially in the field of like continuous improvement, like the word itself means adapting, changing, and moving on to technology. Whether it's doing a LinkedIn learning course, like a very simple course online, or it means doing actually professional degree, it doesn't matter. But make sure you can, because I think the next generation of work is, it's, I mean, we're already so immersed in data, but it's only going to get more. And, you know, with like ChatGPT coming in and all these other ways, if you're able to work with data and able to work through, uh, you know, just a basic analysis, like a five-step proposal, I mean, that'll take you a long way than just being someone who's not working through data. That's great. That's great. Um, last question would be if there's a, not a certification, but a, maybe a mindset that you would give to the same audience, maybe to your team or to a mentee. Yeah. I'm sure you're working with mentees. What's a, what's a mindset that's gonna serve yeah. continuous improvement professionals well? Being very receptive to change. I think being very adaptive is key. Like sometimes we have set processes that we've been doing for the last, you know, so many years, but the world is changing so rapidly that the speed of change and the turnover, like the turnover is also changing quickly. Like I said, at Uber, we're working on so many projects at the same time and things change very quickly. And I'm seeing that that's the direction most companies are going. So we have to be very nimble, very flexible to change. You cannot be set in your processes and like be open to listening to other perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think being open to like learning about new things, like that's something I'm trying to keep myself uh, accountable to as well. Like when I meet like new younger team members, the Gen Zs now, yes. and they have like, sometimes they have a completely different perspective, but it actually is more efficient to do it their way. And I think it's just keeping an open mind. That's great. Last, last question for the technical folks in our audience. I, um, and you can, you can tap out on this one if you'd like. Um, I'm curious, what does your intersection with IT look like? Do you work with them on the discovery, the defining and the discovery phase? Uh, IT owns data, yeah. right? Do they give you access to the data? Do they ETL you? Yeah. You know, do they send you packages of data on the design, uh, define and discovery and the solution? Do you work with them on integrations or automations or workflows or case management? 
I'm curious, what does your team's relationship with IT look like? I think in Uber, I will be very honest, we have a very close relationship. Like we have access to all the data we need from an yeah. IT perspective, which is very different from like the other companies that sure. I've worked with. Yeah. So, yeah, so this has been a very different experience for me where it's like we own, like, you know, once we get access to like certain data that we've asked for, then we can do whatever ETL we need to do, set up automations. We have an automations team that helps us, like, you know, even automations is done within ops. So we can run all of these processes end to end. I think the good thing about Uber is a lot of ownership is with us. So we're not relying so much in terms of like permissions. Sure, it sounds like IT deserves running from foster empowering. Definitely, I, for sure. I think in our case, like we, we all feel very empowered with the data we have. Sometimes it's a little too much data, so we don't know yeah. this stuff. Interesting coming from the scientist. Yeah, it's like too much. Like sometimes you just want like streamlined data. It's not give us all the data. The raw data. <laughs> yeah. But I would say like in uh, previous companies that I did work with, the relationship was like, you know, we did have to struggle a lot more to get access to the mm -hmm. data set. And I think that is something I know a lot of companies are working through in the transformation space as well. Yeah. Well, that's great. Congratulations Thank on your you. fabulous career. Thank you. Wish you the best of luck. Thank you. your team and your, your big rocks. Yep. Moving forward. And I'll be looking out for you all on online. Yep. Although I won't see Uber brand when I check out. Uh, you will see Powered by Uber. So. I will see Powered by Uber. Yeah. Okay, great. They may may not, but you will see Powered by Uber. Really yeah. yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It was such a pleasure to be here. had such fun. fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper-automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Don't forget to connect and interact with us. You can find us on Bots and Thoughts' own LinkedIn page. And we're constantly running feedback surveys and ask that if you've made it this far in the episode, show us some love by responding to a survey and following us on LinkedIn. Finally, if you or someone you know would like to be a special guest on the show, we have a nomination form also down in the description for you to fill out. And with that, see you next episode and happy automating.